Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This episode is with Dr. Uma Naidu. She's a Harvard-trained psychiatrist and a nutrition expert and also author of the book, This Is Your Brain on Food, which draws on cutting-edge research to explain the many ways in which food contributes to our mental health and shows how a sound diet can help treat and prevent a wide range of psychological and cognitive health issues, from ADHD to anxiety to OCD. We get into the nitty-gritty of it with Dr. Uma in this episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. A quick word from our partner at Podium. As you guys know, I am obsessed with, all right, well, maybe not obsessed, but I care a lot about creating a better healthcare experience. And to me, what that means is making the interactions between doctors and patients and the whole environment of healthcare better in some way. And that's why when I came across Podium, I decided they'd be a great partner for us here on the podcast because they're making the experience better for patients and for doctors and they're helping private practice owners create a better experience for their patients, also create new leads for their practice and also get reviews for their practice. So it's a really all-encompassing platform at Podium.com. Podium.com has partnered with us and they're offering you a free sign-up and a free platform to use to help grow your practice and to help create a better experience for your patients. So to partner up with Podium, you can sign up for free at podium.com forward slash beyond. Once again, it's podium.com forward slash B-E-Y-O-N-D. Hope you guys enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And now to the episode. Welcome, everybody. I'm with Dr. Uma Naidu. And she is the author of This Is Your Brain on Food. She's with us today over Zoom. Dr. Uma, thank you so much for being with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank, thank you so much, Dr. Rami. I really appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. Yeah. So so this is a topic that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, I, I, I truly believe in nutrition and its effects on your mental health. And I you know, it's something that I often preached as I saw patients in the primary care setting. Um, and it's it's also a very difficult conversation to have across varying, um, I guess, I guess, you know, we have such a variety of patients and people have different levels of health literacy. And nutrition is one of those things in medicine that we were never taught about in medical school. And we had a really hard time understanding really like how this works and what it is and how do we how do we relay this information to our patients and I think that what you're doing and what you're putting out into the world right now uh, is really valuable especially at this time where people are really educated people are really you know trying to get to the root cause of disease and much more invested in 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 addressing things not particularly through just medication but through lifestyle changes and through eating healthier and living healthier and so i'd love to just get your background and and find out how you got into all of this <laughs> thank thank you so much and um, i couldn't agree with you more um I, I you know i i am often asked this question and i have to say i wish that um 
I wish I could say I, I knew that when I was six years old, uh, I wanted to do this. But actually, when I was five and six years old, I wanted to be an astronaut. So go figure, you know, you, you, you never know how these things evolve in life. But largely, I came from a very large uh, South Asian family, food, nurturance, love, were all parts of uh, my life. But also a large number of medical doctors, allopathic medical doctors, and a few Ayurvedic practitioners. So I think they help medical influence was naturally there. So, you know, yes, I had the little toy stethoscope and, and all of that. Um, but I also had these moments with my, my paternal, um, sorry, my maternal grandmother. Um, and I spent my days with her. So literally seeing fresh vegetables picked from the garden and seeing her prepare food was also part of my day. And I feel like I brought a lot of that um, integration that, that I think came for me culturally into my medical practice. Um, interestingly, um, I learned to cook later in life because of coming from a large family where there were always so many cooks in the kitchen. I learned to bake because my mom's a double-boarded physician and she recognized intuitively that I loved science. So she taught me how to measure and that was uh, you know, a, a lot of fun growing up. But really, no need for me to cook. So um, when I did begin cooking, it really, for me, was part of a creative journey. It was learning my mom's recipes, blending spices, but it began to be a really mindful space for me. And along with this, I was studying hard. And really, when I began to understand psychotropic medications, um, and psychopharmacology, I realized that there were many benefits and life-saving benefits to these medications, but they had devastating side effects. And I felt that the conversation needed to be broader. So I would just slip in a few questions asking patients about what they were doing for exercise, what they were eating. Sometimes individuals who come in with, with depression or anxiety may have problems with weight already because of um, just how, how poorly they're feeling, not being able to have the energy to exercise or, or, or be involved in movement. So I knew that I was facing a challenge and I began asking the questions first and foremost, and I began researching more about the information. And it was a powerful moment in one of my very early days as, uh, as a resident and um, being yelled at by a patient, you know, uh, you, you and I are in the Boston area and we know that a favorite is Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And literally two weeks after starting a medication in a community clinic where I was uh, studying and learning, he accused me of, you know, causing weight gain because he had read that on the label for the SSI, SSRI medication that I prescribed. And I knew knowing his baseline weight from the first visit that that wasn't the case. Um, and we had this uh, exchange and I, I was, you know, timid. I was still learning and afraid that I might have done the wrong thing. I, I knew I hadn't caused the weight gain. At least I knew that. But he had this large 20 ounce Dunkin' Donut coffee in his hand. And my eyes went to that. And I said, you know, tell me what you put in your coffee. And I'm sure that when some, when someone could say that was a moment to distract him. And perhaps that is actually also true. But something occurred to me almost intuitively. Like what, what was it that he had in his coffee? And that really was, I would say, a very important point of my journey. Because being able to translate the information more than a quarter cup of a processed creamer, six to eight sugars, understanding what amount of sugar was even in a little packet that he got at the coffee store 
And then going online and showing him what they're translated into in terms of calories. Now, I'm not a huge believer in calories in and calories out um, in terms of nutritional science, but I actually was able to share with him that this was this 20 ounce cup of coffee and he had one and a half in a day. Um, this was bringing in a lot of sugar and added and processed foods to his diet. I saw the look in his eye change and he immediately almost, it's like a light bulb went off. And that was powerful for me because I realized if I could reach a person that way, it could be a slow and steady change that they could make in a habit. And, and that could be very powerful. And that really began my deeper investigation of everything. Um, you know, going to culinary school was a whole, was a, it was a whole journey and an ode to Julia Child because she was my food hero. And I felt, well, if she did it later in life, why not me? And I didn't expect that it would come together with the work I was doing in nutrition and psychiatry. And, and I was very grateful when it did. Um, and that really was how, you know, I had the opportunity um, a little further on in my career to, to start and found a clinic based on this work and to use this as an additional tool in the toolkit, not just medications, but in addition to everything else we're working with. Amazing. Amazing. And I, and I love that point that you mentioned about pointing out something that the patient had with them in the room, you know, having that coffee, you using that as an opportunity to, you know, gain insight into their life. And I think that's a, that's a very valuable skill as a physician. Um, and I, I applaud you on that because that is a lot of the ways that we learn about our patients, you know, just, you know, paying attention and, and going off of things that we feel that almost intuitive uh, guidance in a way, maybe that clinical sense uh, that we just think maybe this is, maybe this is an opportunity to learn more about our patient. Um, <clears throat> thank you. And, and I know, and thank you for saying that. And I would also just mm -hmm. add that, you know, we taught to be observant, right? That's one of mm -hmm. our medical medical school uh, skills that we taught. But the other thing about it is you mentioned that, you know, nutrition is not an easy conversation to have because weight is not an easy conversation to have. And with the rates of um, Americans being, being more in the overweight to obese range, um, and they use that as a clinical term, it's very hard to speak to people about that. And, yeah. and so another way to bring that up is really to explore it in an honest, transparent, but in a different way without making someone feel judged. And sometimes that can be very hard to do. Yeah. And that's an art and that really is an art. And, you know, that only you you, by doing that, you took pressure off of the patient. You took the pressure off, like, tell me about what, what's in this, you know, it's instead of, well, you, you just gained 30 pounds. Let's talk about that. What do you drink every day? <laughs> it's not my fault. You're drinking this coffee. <laughs> so, so it's a, it's a great approach. And I think that's part of the, the art of being a, a physician that we're not taught in school. It's more something that we kind of learn through experience or through, um, you know, refining things, you know, being thoughtful and, and things like that. And, um, so I just wanted to, I wanted to comment on that cause I thought that was great. Um, so this is your brain on food. This is the book that you wrote. Can we talk a little bit about the science, uh, of what you discovered, you know, in your researching on how, uh, you know, different diets and different foods affect your brain. And, you know, I know that there's also, you also talk about the gut and the brain and the microbiome, um, Let's let's start in in a in a in a way just to really you know highlight what the book was about, and then we'll dive into a little bit more of the nuances. Sure, you know the there's uh, 
a missing conversation in, in the room when we see our doctors or when we as physicians may be seeing a patient. Um, and that conversation is, is pretty routine to ask about a family history of diabetes or even some weight gain over COVID. But there's no discussion other than maybe a checklist of mental health symptoms, but it's associated with what you eat and your emotional health or how, how you feel. Yet every single day, if you've eaten something or you're with a family member or friend, um, people have a response to food. There's, there's, there's usually a reaction. Sometimes it's not great, but sometimes it's good. Or sometimes there's, there's a feeling of fatigue or exhaustion or wanting to lay down or feeling lethargic or feeling uncomfortable. And there are words we're using, but we're not putting those points together. So when I really discovered and began to learn and read more about and research the gut-brain axis, I realized it was becoming more and more important in mental well-being. And what I mean by this is the food that we consume is directly impacting the chemical signaling that's going to our brain. And part of that comes from the fact that the gut and brain in embryology come from the same cells. They develop. And then we, they're connected by the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, which really acts like a two-way, um, for the sake of Bostoners, you know, like a two-way mass spike working all the time and uh, sending chemical signals back and forth. So, so there's, there's that. And then understanding that uh, one of the very, I would say, significant medications that we prescribe in mental health are SSRIs, uh, to the extent that Zoloft, otherwise called sertraline, went on shortage in June of 2020. Um, because there were so many new prescriptions for anxiety, insomnia, and depression during COVID, during the early times of COVID. But they, we prescribed them a lot, but more than 90% of the actual serotonin receptors are in the gut. So, you know, putting that together with the fact that we are in this ongoing pandemic and the, the huge component of our immune system is also in the gut, understanding those basic just factors helps us understand that food becomes a very, very powerful tool and something that we have, the, we have power over versus receiving a prescription from your doctor. And I think that when people understand that it can make a difference, that becomes important. But there wasn't, there wasn't really information out there sharing this. And I was observing this in my clinic based on my own interest, reading the literature, doing the research. And I felt that it needed to be brought forward. But it wasn't my idea to write the book. That came about in a very different way. I was interviewed for different media and I was blogging for Harvard Health uh, Publications. And I guess somehow the other reporter got in touch with me for an interview for the Wall Street Journal about the gut-brain axis in my work. And I spoke with her and I, unbeknownst to me, this article went viral. And that's when publishers and agents reached out to me and said, oh, you know, this is something people need to know about. This article was so popular. And that's really how the book came to be. Um, so, so it was something that I was working on and observing. And I feel that the more people can have the knowledge to understand what nutrients we're eating or what, what we're consuming and the impact on our mental well-being, that becomes powerful because especially during a pandemic or ongoing different levels of quarantine, um, isolation, people are cooking more at home or people who may not know how to cook are experiencing a need to learn or understand or experiment. And when they understand as well that this can really fortify our mental well-being, you don't have to have a mental illness to read or look at my book or use the principles. You can actually just be feeling a little bit blue because seasonal affective disorder, this is the season for it, less light for one thing. Um, 
It could also be that you have a friend, a coworker, or, or a family member who has some symptoms that might need help. And that's where food becomes powerful because, you know, unless you have an allergy or an intolerance, or you, you, for example, have celiac disease and you cannot eat gluten, food is pretty safe. You know, you, you can moderate the amount that you eat, but you could start to understand the powerful effects it has. And one of the most powerful things being the, the foods that actually drive mental health. Many people think, well, you know, added refined sugars, we know we should worry about that if we have a family history of diabetes. But actually, no, added refined sugars worsen depression and anxiety. And have been shown that in clinical research. So I think it's making sure that that information was brought forward, which is why there are so many pages of endnotes, was that for the, for the avid reader who wants to say, well, what does this study actually show? They can look it up. They can read it for themselves. Um, you know, there, there, there's certainly a, a feeling that um, in the nutritional epidemiology research that it's more lifestyle um, and certain dietary changes as a whole. So say just the Mediterranean diet that has effective changes, absolutely true. It has had very good and positive effects on depression especially. But I think that people are much more interested in food. And they know, they, they, they might know something like I should eat a blueberry because the magazine told said it had antioxidants, but they don't actually know what that means. When you break it down for them, and you explain that this is helping your body in a certain way and helping your mental health, it's much more powerful, like going back to the cup of Dunkin Donuts coffee, it becomes a much more powerful tool when people have the education, I felt that that gap needed to be filled. And that was how we constructed the book. Amazing. There's there's several points that you just made that I thought were really interesting. And to me, so I just learned something. Uh, and this is the embryological perspective that you just touched on and the the gut and the brain are essentially being derived from the same germline. Is that right? Neural crest cells, yes. Okay. So so I I, I like my memory's being jogged now yes. to, <laughs> to embryology <laughs> days. Embryology, yeah, early in medical school. Uh somewhere we learned about that. Um <laughs> But it's a, it's an interesting connection because, um, you know, obviously I've seen, and, and this is a known thing, you know, uh, things like IBS are, you know, anxiety, depression are highly mm -hmm. correlated. Correlated. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not a surprise to me that the brain and the gut, you know, have a symbiotic relationship where, you know, if you're, you know, for, for whatever reason, if your gut is inflamed, you may not, you know, your brain may be inflamed too. Um, and for me, I know this in my pers personal life, actually, mm -hmm. whenever my, whenever I have a lot of discomfort, abdominal discomfort, yeah. it's usually when I'm stressed or when I'm eating bad and mm -hmm. I feel the mental effects. Like I know that wow. I'm a little bit more anxious, a little bit more, you know, mm -hmm. under the weather. Um, that's something I kind of just, you know, keep track of on my, you know, just in my own personal, uh, body. Yeah. And, um, I, 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 I. I think that there's so much more for us to learn as physicians um, and, and not only learn, but be able to teach our patients um, mm -hmm. and to teach, uh, you know, today, a lot of physicians especially have platforms, social media, mm -hmm. podcasts, they can write books. We're able to reach people, but we're not, you know, we need to be able to talk about these particular uh, lifestyle uh uh, and, and, uh, nutrition aspects as well, because, 
I think that, you know, nutrition is a major category in terms of how we can, you know, uh, live a better life, feel healthier, have better mental health, along with other things like exercise and lifestyle and all the, Mm -hmm. and the social factors and all of that, you know, it's a complex kind of machine that contributes to well-being in a way. Nutrition is just a, a really major, major one. No, well, thank and thank you for saying that because it's it really is um, a, a complex number of systems that are working together, and I think that that's where just us as physicians being less siloed in terms of our understanding um, across specialties of of the fact that you know the gut brain axis does affect mental health, the gut brain axis does affect GI symptoms, it it, it affects many many different things, but just having the openness to understanding that um, because it, it is hard for us to have conversations around nutrition. We, we're not provided the tools. Some medical schools are doing better than others, but we really don't have the tools to have these conversations. So making sure that we're looking at the whole person and, and, you know, the approach that I, that I really developed for my own clinic has been, a holistic, integrated, and functional approach to psychiatry. So integration across medical systems, holistic because it's the mind-body connection as well. You you can't ignore mindfulness if you're talking about food. You cannot ignore mindful eating, meditation, or any of those aspects, right? Um, Sleep hygiene, um, as well as um, hydration, all of those become important because sleep, sleep hygiene has been pretty poor during COVID, but and, and people are complaining about insomnia a lot. In fact, they're calling it coronasomnia. Um, <laughs> so there are all, all of these conditions that are coming in. And then, and, and then there are these, um, then because of all the Zoom meetings, you know, there's the condition being called Zoom dysmorphia, where people are getting, wanting to get plastic surgery and getting, um, you know, things changed in their appearance because they're becoming so anxious and distraught over how they appear online. Oh, really? So it's, it's you know, this, it's just an interesting time because the pandemic has brought forth mental illness and mental well-being in a very unusual way. Uh, we worried about the vaccine, worried about the pandemic and all of the important things that need to we need to be doing and all of that. But, you know, the underlying unspoken silent pandemic is a mental well-being of the country. 11% yeah. of Americans as, as shown by the CDC last summer, 11% of Americans considered suicide, which is a wow. huge number, you know, to actually, and it also spoke to the level of isolation that people are feeling. So isolation and we are social creatures by nature, you know, so, so some of what we need to do for the pandemic is not necessarily helping our mental health. So I think that wherever we can find additional tools, it becomes really powerful for people. Yeah. And nutrition is one of them. Yeah. Let's, so let's focus then, because I think that the benefit here is obviously you have this wealth of information on how the brain is affected by nutrition um, and how it affects disorders, uh, anxiety, depression, OCD. Can we talk a little bit about it for anybody out there who is suffering from any mental health disorder, how, to what degree, let's say, to what degree will changing the nutri- their nutrition and really focusing on their nutrition habits play into their overall uh, mental health and how, how what's a realistic sense of how much improvement one can have from 
from completely overhauling their nutritional diet? Sure. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I talk about this on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is someone might be a healthy eater and just wanting to up their game. Personally, I think any one of us can improve a little bit on what we're doing, including myself, what we're eating or how we're thinking about our nutrition. I think people first and foremost need to understand that it's, 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 um, it's a marathon and not a sprint. I think that we are an impatient nation. We like quick fixes of things and, and conveniences. Um, that's how convenience food started. Um, you know, so, so <laughs> with that being said, I think, I think we need to understand that this is, this is really a journey. And if you want to embark on this health journey, I, I know and I have seen that people who make slow and steady changes in what they're eating, um, things that they're cutting back on, um, nutrients that they identify as driving certain symptoms. Like I said, they may not have a full-blown meeting diagnostic criteria for something, but they might just be feeling like they're a little bit anxious or they're feeling somewhat down. They, they're not as productive as they were. They focus or they have focus is struggling or they have some brain fog. It, it, it becomes incremental, slow and steady changes that they start to make. And that's really what helps them stick. You know, there's a reason that there aren't reunions of some of the big reality TV shows that have been around weight loss. It's because often that those, unfortunately, some of those individuals gain back the weight. So we need to remember that, you know, slow and steady habit changes that are going to help you and being patient with yourself, having grace with yourself around I can do two things this week. You know, I can be better about my hydration because I'm working all day and I'm drinking coffee, but I'm forgetting to drink water. Or, you know, I can shut off my devices an hour before bedtime, you know, maybe think about a meditation, do something. So it's, it's nutrition is one of those many different things that we can be doing. Um, I think the second thing is to understand that um, there's no perfect diet. I think that people are constantly reading, well, it's, you know, it's paleo, it's keto, it's carnivore, it's vegan, it's veg, whatever it is. I think that it's really what works for you in your own body. Because I feel like body intelligence is something that we're not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So if you eat a certain product, whether it be a, veg, a vegetable or meat product, if, if it's making you feel a certain way, examine what that is. It doesn't mean you have to give something up. It might be getting a better form, getting it better sourced, um, getting, you know, eating it in a different way. Um, you know, so, so that, that's the other piece, understanding what your body needs are. And say, say you are embracing a certain type of diet. That's perfectly fine. Just make sure you're getting all the nutrients that your body needs. Absolutely. For example, if you're vegan, you know, vitamin B12 is something you may need to be speaking to your physician about um, and that type of stuff. So, so it's, it's, it's understanding, um, understanding that you start to make the changes, you build up on these changes. And I have these sort of pillars of nutritional psychiatry that I talk about. Something as simple as the greener, the better. So Green vegetables have a rich in folate. Folate is extremely powerful. It's been associated, low levels have been associated with increased depression and several other things. So just, you know, when I say eat a leafy green salad and add lots of colors of the rainbow to that, it's not, it's not, it's not a simple thing. It's not, it's not as silly as, oh, my doctor's telling me again, I should eat a salad. There's actually science behind it. And when you break that down for people and understand, well, by adding that into my, my diet, I'm going to be improving my nutrition. Those become quite powerful for people. So 
Some daily changes, building up on those healthy habits, giving yourself at least a month. Uh, sometimes people feel start to feel better within a week, but just giving yourself a chance to notice those changes and even documenting them, journaling them if, if that works for you. Um, how you're feeling, whether you're feeling differently. Um, when you're eating a healthier lunch versus a fast food lunch. Because we know that when we consume food, the, the environment of the gut microbiome changes. So the gut bacteria change within a 24-hour period. And what I say to people is, you know, you can be in the fast food lane or you can be in a healthier option lane. And it's going to make a change. You mentioned gut inflammation earlier on. It's going to make a change to gut microbiome which you won't feel immediately, but you will feel it down the road. So that choice that you're making today is impacting you. You just may not feel it immediately. So when you get, when dysbiosis or gut inflammation gets set up, you know, the feedback loop is that brain inflammation and neuroinflammation gets set up. So paying attention in that way becomes important. But remember, you know, it's not an all or nothing response either. You can, you can cut back on something and find a better better version of it. You know, you can in, you can in, include healthier foods and cut back on the ones that are not so healthy. It's it's about finding that balance for yourself. Amazing. Um, from your from your research, what is what are the foods that we should absolutely be avoiding, or the things that we should absolutely be avoiding to avoid inflammation and uh, you know worsening worsening that uh, relationship between the gut and the brain. Sure. So, you know, I, I mentioned these foods and I, I, I frame it um, in the following way. If, if you are eating them, try to cut back, try to find different versions of them, because it is hard for people to, you know, make 10 changes in a day. So if I list these foods and, and you happen to be eating them and you're listening to this, it's really about cutting back and making some switches and doing it slowly and steadily. One example of that is if a person, and I've had patients experience this, they're consuming a lot of sugar. So they're having soda and candy and cookies and things like that. And they decide one day I'm going to give it up. Well, they actually could develop severe anxiety and panic because their body is sort of going into a, a, almost a level of shock from not having mm. that level of sugar. Mm -hmm. So remember, just cut back incrementally with healthier choices. And we'll start with, you know, um, sugar-sweetened beverages, sodas, and all the added and refined sugars. They unfortunately worsen anxiety, depression, and more, and they, they, they sort of set up the gut for inflammation um, just by being not only pro-inflammatory, but by causing disruption. Also, they feed the, the bad bugs in the gut. They, they feed the bad bacteria. And it's not just bacteria. There are five different types of microbes. And, 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 and when you feed the bad guys and they take over the good bacteria in the gut, that's when inflammation starts to develop. And that's when dysbiosis begins. So that's um, a big one. And then it's, it's the, the foods that we know, you know, have trans fats, have processed and ultra-processed ingredients, colorants, dyes, stabilizers, just cutting back on those packaged foods, being aware of the fact that they may not have healthy ingredients, um, including things like the added sugars and added sodium are important. Processed vegetable oils uh, are pro-inflammatory, many of them, and they are the types of oils that are less expensive, so they're often used in fast food restaurants. Mm. Um, trans fats actually have been associated with behavioral aggression, so having a lot of trans fats in your foods is, is never a good one. Um, artificial sweeteners, unfortunately, many of them are associated with a gut disruption or worsening symptoms. Um, you know, so so you have you have to be uh, uh, aware of those and unhealthy fats. 
you know, the, the ones that uh, we know we, we should be cutting back on. Um, that's, that's great. And I, I think it is, I think that's a really great point about doing things incrementally because um, I think the rebound effect, uh, at least from, for me personally, the rebound yeah. effect of cutting back on something very quickly, it's almost like you compensate in a way, whereas like you can go a little while without it and then you get the hunger urge or whatever. Okay, urge okay and, for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, yeah. <laughs> then you indulge. <laughs> so it's and, like a boomerang effect and, and, you know, you, you kind of end up uh, yeah. in, in, and, and, and what tends to also happen is people don't feel good after that. You know, they, mm -hmm. they just uh, don't feel good. And it, it sort of a, a cycle gets set up, which is uh, not always great. Yeah. What, what is it that happens when there is inflammation, you know, in the gut and how does that translate to the brain? Like what is the process going on there? So, you know, the gut inflammation gets set up. And so you want to think about it as the bad microbes have basically taken over the good microbes. And one of the things we need to understand is the lining of the gut is a single cell layer thin. And um, the cells are connected by these tight junctions. And, and what inflammation does is it causes a loosening of these tight junctions. And you get what often is called a leaky gut, which is intestinal permeability. And you get basically leakage of these, these uh, for want of a better word, ingredients that, that are just moving through your system. So, you know, when... When we have that sort of imbalance, instead of the more positive short-chain fatty acids or the more positive substances that are produced, you really, you really get toxins getting produced. And those set up inflammation and it sort of feeds back because we know there's this two-way pathway bi-directional flow between the gut and the brain. Um, and that's when you can see worsening of mental health symptoms. You know, I had a patient referred to me once who walked into my office saying, um, young women who had no prior mental health history, no family history of mental health issues, and said, I need Zoloft. I, I saw my gastroenterologist, and I have these symptoms going on, and I now need Zoloft because I have panic attacks. But when, we, when I took, took a, a, an appropriate history, what I found out is she was a young woman who had gotten a promotion at work 18 months prior and her lifestyle had changed. So from being someone who worked out, you know, lived at home in her apartment, um, spent time with her pet, with her friends, uh, cooked some of her meals at home, maybe went out once a week with her friends. She was now traveling for six or seven days out of the week in airports, eating on the go, not sleeping well because of time zone changes, not hydrating well because she was on airplanes and running around a lot, arriving late at cities, eating dinners at either a bar at the hotel or eating out of the bar fridge in the hotel because she was hungry. So everything had changed in terms of her diet. She was still exercising. She was still doing as much as she could. But the, the her, gut, her gut had become inflamed over time. It presented with um, bloating and GI symptoms. So she went to see a gastroenterologist first. And, you know, she was sort of veering towards a diagnosis that, that may or may not have been entirely clear, but they were trying to work with her symptoms. But when she had the panic attack, she got referred to me. She was functioning enough that she was able to tolerate slow and steady dietary changes and didn't want to take a medication. And so my assessment was that with her hard work on this that we could do, 
we could help her without her taking a medication and it worked it worked over time and she really what she had we had to do is is heal help her with gut healing and help her sort of eat healthily again so they could be repaired to that gut lining over time and ultimately she didn't need a medication and she you know she 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 no longer had anxiety or panic. And it was really a great example of understanding that with timing and just understanding what we can do, it could be quite powerful. It may not work for everyone, you know, because our microbiome is very much like a thumbprint. So mm -hmm. we need to understand it won't, it won't work for everyone, but, but that's why it becomes much more personalized now when, when I see people than I did when I first um, started my clinic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, to your point, I think a lot of times we people present with symptoms that are secondary to some major life change mm -hmm. and to some, uh, you know, secondary, you know, it's secondary to things that are happening in their life. And like you mentioned, she had just had a job change, was going through and stress, you know, stress, stress. is a huge factor. We see we, we see it mm -hmm. as doctors all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, addressing that too is, is, is huge. Um, and so, I mean, she presented with these GI symptoms, went to the GI doctor, then had panic attacks, went and saw you. Um, so like it could have, I could, this, this, this particular situation could play out in so many different ways, yeah. depending on who she saw and where she went. And, you know, she could have been diagnosed with IBS and be on some, you know, she could have been go, gone down that route. And that's right. You know, there's so many things that I think that we, I think there's so much that we just, we have to admit in medicine that we just don't know. We don't know. Absolutely. And I think the more we can be comfortable with that, the more questions we can ask, the better. I mean, you know, one of the issues I have is that DSM-5, uh, which we use to diagnose mental illnesses, really doesn't cover everyone. And that's another gap that I feel nutritional psychiatry fulfills, because not everyone has those symptoms that are, you know, a checklist uh, or a description, and we don't have a tissue diagnosis in, in mental health. So it really becomes harder to understand what someone is going through. So I've really, I, I pay attention to that because it's, it's certain evaluations I need to follow the checklist, but um, really also listen to what people are saying. And sometimes they have clusters, someone with ADHD might be depressed. Someone with anxiety may have problems with, with issues of trauma. It's not no one, you know, no one fits into a box. And that's where how we're eating and these lifestyle changes become very powerful tools that we can employ. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. You you just said something interesting. And, you know, we see patients with all sorts of histories, you know, they've got trauma history. Um, they may have had uh, ADHD growing up and, you know, still throughout their adulthood, um, anxiety, depression, all of these things that for whatever reasons, you know, have either progressed, worsened, or they're, you know, in the process of healing. And I think what you mentioned and what I've read a lot is that through nutrition, you can alleviate some of the symptoms. You know, you'll have to do other things to get to the root cause and to really heal, whether if that's trauma or other things like that, like you'll have to do all the work, but nutrition, if you can actually, you know, get this part right, it can help with alleviating the symptoms or the ways these certain disorders manifest. Um, completely right. And sometimes it's not just nutrition. It may need, a person may need a medication to start 
or a patient uh, or person may already be on a medication and still want to use nutritional strategies. But it becomes a powerful tool if used the right way. And I think that, you know, people shouldn't walk away thinking, well, nutrition is the only answer because it isn't. I'll be the first to say that. Um, it, it is one of the many tools in your toolkit. And, you know, depression is a serious illness, psychotic illnesses, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, many are severe illnesses. And people not only suffer, they might actually need medications, but as they take a medication, they can also be eating differently. They can be exercising. They can be paying attention to this to offset some of the side effects or potential problems they could run into or even improve and alleviate symptoms. So it's, it's not one or the other. It's really a combined system. And then there are individuals like the patient I described who was able to, to tolerate this without a medication. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of hard work. You know, she really had to pay attention to changing those lifestyle changes. Um, and even when she was traveling and working, this was before COVID, but she really had to make those, uh, make those changes herself. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to also talk about just, uh, I want to focus on this infl inflammation uh, for a second as we move forward, because um, uh, just from my own learnings and things that I've uh, learned, you know, intermittent fasting is something that I've kind of been interested in. I'm not sure exactly. I know that it ha you know, it gives you gut rest in a way, mm -hmm. uh, can help your gut heal. Have you, um, have you connected any of these things or like, uh, you know, what's your take on, you know, combining things like intermittent fasting or other types of diets with um, kind of your research? What's what's basically your your thoughts on all of that? Sure. So I think that intermittent fasting, fasting, mimicking diets, you know, there have, there's some very powerful and excellent research behind it. And um, I work with some some people who are doing intermittent fasting diet I, I consider myself diet agnostic so despite what I eat and what I do someone comes in and they say well this is the diet this is what I'm following unless it's impacting them medically and I always work with their in concert with their primary care physician uh, sometimes with another psychiatrist who's prescribing medications um, so that I know what's going on with the person and, you know, if it's otherwise safe that they, they can be using fasting, why not? Um, it certainly can be very helpful. I don't, I don't feel that we yet know the impact of intermittent fasting, or, the, or let's just call it the fasting spectrum diets, on mental well-being. Um, some people have reported improvement in brain fog, um, really thinking more clearly and, and improvement of focus, but I don't yet have the data on that. I think it's perfectly fine if, if you are following something and it's working for you, um, you know, compared to some time ago when I wanted all my patients to eat breakfast, you know, now unless there's a medication they're taking that needs them to be eating food with the medication, you know, if they want to have something later on, then we just kind of build that into making sure they have enough nutrients during the day, but they can start their day later on, which really is a form of intermittent fasting. So mm -hmm. um, that, that's where I'm at with it. I'm, I'm really very open to, to people using it if, if it's under the guidance of a physician and that um, we, know, we know that there isn't any deleterious effects to what they're doing. Great. Thank you for that. Um, so in your book, what are the things that people will learn from this is your brain on food? Like what, what are the things that you dive into? And, um, you know, whether you be a physician or a patient or anybody just wanting to learn about nutrition and how it affects you? Like, what does your book sure. go into? 
Sure. So the book is uh, essentially divided up into the different conditions, um, different mental health conditions, the major ones, depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD, and several others. And within each chapter, what I delve into is the evidence behind the foods that we know can be helpful, but the foods that you should avoid. And there is some overlap. So I describe in the initial version, initial part of the book, how to use the book. You may actually need to read chapter 11 or chapter two. You may not want to read the whole book, but you also may have a family member, a friend or coworker who needs a certain, um, a certain chapter that would be helpful to them. But essentially it walks you through uh, foods to avoid in each chapter has a list of foods to embrace or foods to avoid. You'll be happy to know foods to avoid are always much shorter, but important to know <laughs> for different conditions. And then the final chapter is really, um, you know, putting it together in the kitchen. I, like I said, I started cooking later in life and it was important for me to share that and just to, to show people how to set up a kitchen. Um, and just because I, I shared my own journey of how I did that and learned different things and then recipes, which are super simple, um, really just to get you cooking with healthy ingredients. And the recipes really match the chapters, but in, in all reality, you can play with the recipes um, and in, in the sense that you can, if you're plant-based, you could replace a, replace something in that recipe. We give you options. Um, same thing the other way, if you eat seafood or you, you eat different diets, you can always, you can interchange different foods, but also they're meant to be simple to get you cooking and to realize you're using nutrients that are healthy for your brain. Um, so all the, the recipes are based on the brain foods and based on the chapters. So you, you have recipes that match the different conditions for you to, to get started. And, um, and then, you know, at the end of the end notes, if you want to delve into the research, uh, they're there for you to, to page through. Amazing, amazing. So I'm going to be recommending this to my patients and Thank to my you. friends and to my family members. And I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to read it myself. Uh, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, like with uh, the crazy lives that we live today, uh, we we don't have so much time to do these fun things. But okay. it's definitely on my list, and I can tell you have a wealth of inf uh, knowledge and a wealth of um, and a, and, a, and a passion for what you do. Um, and I think I think to do to to really get to the root cause of things takes so much work. You know, it takes so much dedication. It's the hard thing to do. It's not the easy. Here's the pill. You know, like just go on with and you know, like I, I admire you for wanting to get to for taking the time to get to to address things from a from a you know root cause uh, perspective. And I think okay. that's so hard to do in medicine. And I I I think maybe other people that aren't in medicine don't really know how hard that is yeah. because the structure of what we've learned and you know mm -hmm. like how we've been bred mm -hmm. it really goes it goes a bit against that and yeah, it um and it's so hard to do that with the time constraints and the level of depth that you need to go in with with people like it, it's it's consuming and and i really admire when i when i meet people who are um you know going the hard route and, and, and trying to get to the truth, trying to get to the root and not just, you know, playing along in the game that we all play. Well, thank you. You know, I appreciate you saying that, but also I think it's an opportunity to help one another because I hear what you're saying. We, we simply don't have enough time in our visits, you know, um, and, and the way that the insurance systems and hospital based visits or clinic visits are set up are very restrictive to physicians. So, we really don't, we don't have the luxury of time. And we, in a way, 
um, we're taught to be observant and to explore and to investigate, but, but that's not the way the system is set up. So we really have to find our, our own ways to manage our different specialties and then collaborate. Um, and understand that you know um, we can we can we can have an ongoing discussion about this type of thing. Absolutely, and uh, maybe if you could leave us with a word of inspiration for people who are also healthcare professionals that want to get that want to tackle big problems, that want to get to the root of things, that want to make a difference in the world, like a lot of us do. What what inspired you? What gave you the courage to go out and do this? And and how do others, you know, follow in your footsteps? I I think the most important thing to me when I think back, like I said, I, I wish I could say it came with a plan, but it didn't. Um, I followed things that I loved to do. You know, I when I was placed in a situation of studying and moving away from, from my family um, and learning to cook. I embraced it as something that I, this was something new, I love to learn, so let me try this out. But when I found that I enjoyed it and it was a creative space, I really paid attention to that. And it's sort of about knowing yourself and knowing the things that bring you joy and that inspire you. So I enjoyed cooking that much and I would make mistakes. And I would find the other recipe and you know, email my mom or find out more to, about improving it. But I really, followed things that I loved. When, when, when I had that moment with the patient and I realized that it was powerful, I thought it's important to know nutrition. You know, you, you can't be having this conversation, be prescribing heavy duty medications as a psychiatrist and not know nutrition. I really felt it was important. So I decided, well, that's what I have to do. So, so it was really following things that I loved to do and that inspired me and that brought me joy. And I think if it may seem vague to say that, but if anyone listening to this, you know, if there's something you're doing in your life that's bringing you inspiration and helping you get through the day, get through the next steps of your life, pay attention to it. It could be something creative. It could be, for me, cooking was really a creative outlet. And um, and and follow it. You know, give give yourself the chance to follow it, and I think you will find you will find your path that way. I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Uma. Where can people connect with you? Where can they uh, find out more about your book and purchase your book? And um, where can they connect with you on social? Thank you. So my social media handle is at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O, which is at Dr. Uma Naidu, where we post updated research and fun stuff all of the time. And it's the best way to be in touch with me. But you can also subscribe to my website, which is umanaidumd.com. Um, and, uh, and follow us there. The book is available on the website, which links to different bookstores. Support your small and local bookstore if you can, but it's also available on Amazon and, and online everywhere. So um, I, I certainly, it's, it's certainly been a challenge, uh, Dr. I mean, you know, uh, uh, having a debut book during a pandemic. So, <laughs> yeah, so people being interested <laughs> is, is, is very important and, and I appreciate that support. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Uma. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I, and I look forward to reading your book. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.